Hi everyone, welcome back to the Universe's Greatest Podcast, Culture Bucket. Uh, this is a podcast where two best friends talk all things popular culture uh, for a couple of hours, usually with a focus of some sort. In the second half, this week the focus is Jack White, who's released two uh, solo studio albums this year, uh, Fear of the Dawn and Entering Heaven Alive. So we will be talking about uh, our feelings on those albums, as well as our feelings generally about Jack White and his... Uh, his illustrious career. I am your host, George, and you can't escape without also hearing from your other host, Alex. <laughs> Hi, Alex. Hi, George. Hi, everyone. What introduction? Do you want me to? Do you want people to escape me? No, no, no. You that's don't... what I mean. They can't escape without doing that first. Ah, ah. How you doing, George? Today? Good. Good. It's the end of the summer. Autumn is on the way. Uh, the nights are drawing in a little bit, <laughs> and uh, the real world work is gonna get quite hectic again soon. So, yeah, you know, it's that sort of slightly melancholy time of the year where you have to kind yeah. of return to real life a bit. Um, you know, some of us do. So, <laughs> is that a jab? No. <laughs> is so, that a uh, subtle jab? Because I, I'm. Not gonna work in a school anymore. <laughs> no, not at all. No, no. fine. Um, h- how are you? I'm. Uh, I'm feeling great actually. Uh, well, I've got a temperature. Uh, I saw you a couple of weeks ago. You came to visit me in Italy finally, which was yeah, very first time since we started this exciting. podcast. We yes. actually saw each other, which was very nice. Um, yes, <clears throat> but I, I think I, I'm sick from it. Still, uh, from my visit, yeah, oh, wow. it was it was pretty intense. There were a lot of people here. That is true. It wasn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you've not <laughs> seen many people for like two years, and then suddenly you've got a whole load of new bacteria to deal with. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's fair. And yeah, like uh, George has uh, with his little jab, uh, jab. I'm not going back to school in September, so I'm quite excited about my new prospects in life. Mm. Mm. Me yeah. too. Yeah. Are you excited for me or are you excited for you? I'm excited for you. I'm not excited yeah. for me. <laughs> I'm sorry. You'll get there. Yeah. <laughs> one day. One day. One day. But yeah, I'm very, very happy. Also, because I'm going to see you again in the flesh in a couple of weeks after three yeah. years. I'm going to go back to the UK. Um, So that's very exciting. I'm very oh. excited about that. I'm going to, I've already have like a food order. Yeah, good. Yes. I hope you bring in your um golden ingots with you. Yeah, to... <laughs> that's what I thought. I was like, oh no, because everybody in Italy came here and, you know, a meal is like a nice meal is like maximum 30 euro. And uh, it's not going to be the same, is it, in England? No, no, that'll get you in the door, maybe. <laughs> what do you think the best food you had here was when you came over? 
the best food I had while I was there, the first thing that immediately jumped into my mind was the um, cutlet, bolognese oh, cutlet. Cotoletta bolognese. Mm. Yes, with the, um, the, the cream sauce and the truffles and stuff. Uh, and the, it's like a ham and pork breadcrumbed cheese nightmare. It was very good. <laughs> it is incredible, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, because I'm I'm from the city of the pig and there's a lot of meat eating pig. <laughs> so in that in that cotoletta la bolognese is like pork and ham and cheese and cream. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. That was good. Um I feel like there was something I had oh I had a steak, didn't I? I had a steak yeah. one day. Yeah. Uh with potatoes that was cooked perfectly. Um mm. Uh, and I had big chunks of sort of uh, kosher salt type salt yeah. on it. And that was lovely stuff. Yeah, no. Oh, good food in Italy. Yeah. That, not, that's not a new observation. but <laughs> No, no. But I'm excited to come over and eat curries, uh, have a Sunday roast, mm. uh, have some four, four, four. What? Four? Oh, four. Fur. Yeah, the that's Vietnamese. one thing that's missing in Italy. Like in Italy, definitely ethnic food. Well, Bologna, where where I live, it's just like nice foreign food that's missing, yeah. which I really, yeah, yeah, yeah. really miss. That's fair. No, I mean, England's very good at that because our, oh. our own food is, well, we do roast dinners and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, Sunday well, roast, full English breakfast. I think we like the variety of having, you know, yeah. curry and. It's probably a remnant of the empire that we used to have once upon a time. Empire. The empire strikes back. Yeah, hope. Well, let's hope it doesn't do that. <laughs> um, please do uh, go yeah. to Apple Podcasts and Spotify and anywhere else you can rate and review um, podcasts and give us a rating on there. Uh, write a five star review if you can and write something down um, the more of those we get the more chances are, are of other people finding the podcast and listening to it which is something we'd really like to do we'd really like to expand a little bit and have you know a bigger listener base and get more contact from you we'd love to have more of a discussion and communication with our listeners so please do get in touch with us as well um, the links to all the places you can do that are in the show notes for this and every episode you know they've got an email address Instagram etc etc it's all there so please do let us know what you think and um Go and do those reviews and ratings on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and everywhere else. Thank you so much. We really, really, really appreciate it. This is Culture Catch-Up Time. This is where we talk about what we've watched, what we've read, what we've listened to, and probably some other stuff. Culture Catch-Up Okay, so let's get into yeah. today's episode, shall we? Yes, time to discuss um, popular culture. Yes. Sorry, I, uh, there's a national lyric that um, I wouldn't see the national. I, it's not. I know it's not my turn yet, but I wouldn't see the national. My favorite band mm. uh, last week, live in concert in London's Victoria Park, All Points East Festival. They were headlining, and uh, afterwards I read a review of the gig that was written. Um, I won't quote from it directly because it, it's not. Really, it was quite a badly written review, but it made me laugh because they've got one song uh, called Ryland that they sang. Um, and the review said they include they even sang their um song Rylan, which includes the lyric, Don't you wanna be popular culture? And it's such an odd specific thing to pull out and pop pop in a review that that line's in there. But I've, every time I say popular culture now, that line from that song is uh 
<laughs> in my head. Do you want to be popular culture, Alex? Oh, all the time. Good. Not really, actually. Sounds really... Do you want to be part of... Well, yeah, maybe, yeah. To be part of it, probably quite intense. Yeah. You know, sort of, um... Yeah. Let's just talk about it instead. So what have you been doing um, uh, other than meeting people? Yes, yeah, so I'll be meeting people, uh, catching up after two and a half years of not seeing all my friends. And um, I I watched a movie that you've already talked about on the podcast, but I would like to talk about it because it was pretty insane. And it's the, 20, the, the latest Nicolas Cage movie. The 2022, The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. Oh, nice. Good. What did you think of that? Oh, insane. <laughs> like, it's so funny. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. It's really like, it's, it's, this, film, it's, a, it's this film about uh, like Nicolas Cage as Nicolas Cage that is not really a great person and the only thing he wants to do is be popular. But what well, in his later career, because he's already had a great career, and he's kind of not making any money, and so to make uh to make a little bit of money, he accepts an offer of one million dollars to go to this birthday party, and then everything just goes a little bit crazy because you know the guy in the birthday party is part of uh is he part of is he not part of like a criminal gang, and I I really really enjoyed it. I thought it was really funny. I loved the fact that Nicolas Cage kind of took the piss out of himself, um. He, I love the beginning of the film when there are these two kids getting stoned and then watching a Nicolas Cage film. And throughout <laughs> yeah. the film, there are um, Nicolas Cage kind of like snippets of films and kind of showing his, um, his what he's done and, you know, uh, trying to figure out who Nicolas Cage was. And, you know, there there's um, Tiffany Haddish. And I really love the scene where Tiffany Haddish and another actor, which uh, is it Ike Barinolds? And they're like CIA, yes. CIA agents. And uh, she goes, Nicolas Cage from Moonstruck. And he goes, no, meet Nicolas Cage from Face Off. It's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like yeah. The, the, his career has been so incredibly varied that the, like, people remember him from, other, from different things. And I, 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 I really laughed <laughs> like it's one of probably the best comedies i've seen in recent times it's a very yeah it's a really really funny movie yeah and i think a lot of it works because of the chemistry between him and pedro pascal like the scenes i love pedro pascal yeah because uh, what, what was that film the uh bubble the bubble that we watched the oh yeah 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 i <laughs> like he was he was not i didn't really like him there no and he i was haven't doing really seen him weird, much but in this film, he is lovable. He's lovely. He's loves Nicolas Cage, and he's just incredible. I really liked them as as a couple, and every yeah. everybody else is kind of like good. And you know, uh, I I love seeing Sharon Hogan in a film, so I really I really enjoyed the kind of everything. But there were some really laugh out loud moments, which I really appreciate now because I I haven't had a comedy where I really enjoyed. And I'd yeah. really, like, belly laugh. There's a really uh, good bit. It was spoiled in the trailers, but there's a really, really good bit where they're trying to climb over a wall <laughs> and he can't help him over. <laughs> yeah, I know it was spoiled, but it was so funny. She's yeah. like, let me go. And you're like, no. And he's I'll trying to... i you. <laughs> Nick Cage is trying to, like, 
<laughs> like lift this guy up and then he just lets him go and then he goes around the wall. So yeah. good. And when they're no, arguing I... about whether they should swap shoes or not, who has the more appropriate shoes for running and things. Oh my god, yeah, because they take mushrooms. Did they not take mushrooms or something? There's or a bit LSD. where they take mushrooms and they he there's a great bit where they, they have to escape they think they have to escape in a car and Pedro Pascal's like, You should drive and he's like, You're a great driver and he's like, How do you know that? He's like, You did all your own driving for God in sixty seconds. I read about it on the internet, so I watched the behind the scenes speech. And then Nicholas Cage is like, oh, yeah, I, I did. I did do that. Okay. <laughs> and then crashes it, the car immediately. It's so good. Yeah. It's such a good, good film. I, I'm i glad I watched it. I wasn't sure because, you know, they had, it, didn't, it hasn't had great reviews. Um, yeah, it's had some good reviews, but it's definitely had its detractors, including yeah. my mum, who hated it. What? Why? <laughs> I don't know. She watched it, the whole thing with a scowl on her face, and I was like, <laughs> it's just not my kind of film. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> A scowl. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, but yeah, really, uh, I really enjoyed the film. And then I watched a documentary, uh, which also when you came over, I, I told you that you should watch. Oh, uh, yes, I haven't watched it yet. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, like a TV, it's like a documentary, but it's now they're called TV miniseries. They're not documentaries anymore, like because they, they put these documentaries in episodes. But uh, is Trainwreck Woodstock '99, and it's a Netflix documentary about the how Woodstock '99 just descended into absolute shambles, and uh, really interesting documentary because um, so I knew about Woodstock '99 because I used to listen to my mum's Woodstock '69 vinyls. Yeah. And so when Woodstock 99 came out, I was about 14 years old, I bought the double CD. And it was really weird because it's music that I really enjoyed because at that in that con- in in Woodstock 99, Limb Biscuit played, Corn played, um Red Hot Chili Peppers, like really kind of rocky bands. And it was I I liked them, but it was weird to listen to them and I and then I didn't know anything about the riots and how it just descended into the absolute mayhem. Yeah. Um and it's um it's it's amazing because the people that speak about this document that talking this documentary talk about Woodstock as like the best festival in the world, blah blah blah. And then you go well, Glastonbury has been going on for years and is it works and it's got that amount of people in it. Like, don't yeah, yeah, don't yeah. think that Woodstock is just the only festival that uh, was meant for peace and stuff. There was one that worked and they tried another two and both of them didn't work. And it's just just how people that are trying to make money out of young kids paid the consequences of their actions because these kids paid a load of money for places that they didn't couldn't bring uh drinks they couldn't get bring food it was on a on an air base so that it was all concrete can you imagine the heat and concrete oh. there was not a tree wait where were they camping though were they camping well there was some there was some yeah but there were some green bits but it was mainly like this old airfield like base because it was cheap and big Wow. And it's all about how they were trying to like cut costs and by the end of the festival the drinking water was not water anymore. And so and was so people le- went mental. Lemonade? M? Was it lemonade? Yeah, it was lemonade. Oh no. <laughs> it was good. brown lemonade. Uh... <laughs> 
and and the, 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 what what annoyed me the most is that the people that are behind it, uh, the main guys, which were this horrible guy, John Share, who said, you know, because there was a lot, also like lots of like uh, sexual assaults in the, in in Woodstock, and he's the comments that he does are <clears throat> incredibly horrendous and out of touch with real life. And um, Michael Lang, who was the the co-founder of the first Woodstock, he's just this kind of like hippie guy that goes, oh, you know, we didn't know. Blah, blah. It's like, but you made money. You made profit out of this. And you yeah, let yeah, kids yeah. drink their own poo. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. And sell. Oh, it was horrendous. Like, I don't understand how a festival like that could have gone forward. And the people that sold the festival were had not been accountable for the crap they did. Bad. Yeah, bad festival. And and what annoyed me, what I said, like I said before, what annoyed me is just like there are so many festivals in England that are so successful and they work. And there's so many festivals in America they work. Burning Man is an incredible festival. There are never riots and that's in a desert. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So you can see when you're trying to make money where it goes. And when you try to make a festival to keep people connected and together, how it goes. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, and it was just, it was just all about profit. And what I didn't realize is just Glastonbury doesn't have any kind of like advertising places. Yeah, and then yeah. you go to a festival like Reading Festival, where it's like carling and this and that. And it's just like, you can see the difference yeah. of, the festivals. Yeah, it sounded like it was particularly bad this year though in Reading. There was fires and all sorts of things. Um yeah. which there's been fires before, but I don't remember hearing about there being fires for a couple of years. I mean obviously yeah, I thought a couple it was of years pretty... before COVID. I thought yeah. it'd calmed down, but um, Yeah, but said people went mental. Fifty people um, were ejected or something on Sunday night from that. fifty people were what? Ejected. Oh my god. By, by the police. Bad times. Um but yeah, it's a really good documentary and it, a lot of people uh, are involved in it and like people that worked for MTV and Michael Lang, uh, just before he died, he's in the, he's in the documentary and wow. it's amazing how people didn't feel. It was, it, for example, for this John Cher guy, it was Limp Bizkit's fault that there were riots. It's like, <laughs> okay. Fred Durst does yeah. have a lot to answer for, to be fair. Yeah, Fred Durst. Um, <laughs> but yeah, really, really interesting uh, documentary. The festival and I went to last week was sponsored by Luno, which is a cryptocurrency trading platform. <laughs> so that was nice. How, 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 I just, this cryptocurrency <laughs> stuff is crazy. It's everywhere now. I don't understand it and I don't care about it. Yeah, I don't understand it or care about it either, so let's not um, go on about it too much. But it was weird to see adverts for cryptocurrency all over the place like it was a normal thing. Yeah. <sighs> and it's just odd to have, I don't know, ordinary people are supposed to be this invested and interested in what's basically just financial trading. Yeah. I don't care. <laughs> I want, I want to watch movies about Nicolas Cage taking acid. I know. That's what um, I want to do in my life. I don't want to invest money. Yeah. <laughs> Bizarre. So what else have you done? You've done, you've uh, done a Woodstock documentary. And yes. And then the new season of Never Have I Ever, season three, has come out on Netflix. 
uh, I've spoken about the um, I've spoken about it. <laughs> I can't I've speak. spoken about it. I've spoken about it uh, before, and it's a series created by um, Mindy Kaling and Lang Fisher, and it's about the love and trials of Devi Vivishwakumar and her love life, her friendships, while she goes uh, and while she tries to navigate through life. Uh, having lost a parent. Um, season three, I've binged it. Terrible. <laughs> I've watched it in two days. There are wow. 10 episodes I've watched in two days. It's wow. really like a nice coming of age uh, TV series. You know, maybe it's not necessarily for a 36 year old, but I really enjoy it. I really enjoy watching it. And um and uh, season three is really good. Uh, there's a lot of like growth in the characters. They have changed. They matured. Um, Devi, uh, finally, um, finally, well, she kind of gets more comfortable in herself, and uh, she deals better with the death of her father. Other characters become better, and it's really it's a really good series if you like to watch something mellow and and not too not just just nice and yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah it's just a good coming of age um uh, comedy and i'm amazed because one of our friends dan he was like oh my god i watch it now i was like what <laughs> after me speaking about it and good on you dan and if anybody wants to watch it watch it because it's 29 minutes each episode and you're gonna have a great time and it's it's narrated by John McEnroe. How amazing is that? That's mad. Yeah, and one episode though is narrated by Andy Samberg. Oh really? Yeah. And last thing, and then I'll let you have the reins of the speaking. Um, an album recommendation: the new Lizzo album, special, uh, released uh, this year, this uh, uh, July. Uh, I love this album. I'm not. I'm not massive. I like Lizzo as a person. I like Lizzo as an artist. I think she's a great performer. But I never really got into her albums, and I really like this album. Um, it's really kind of like poppy but dancey, and it's entertaining. I love what she's trying to say. Um, and Lizzo fans that I know don't enjoy this album as much. So maybe. The, I don't know, maybe it's just a complete shift for her. But I really, really, really like this album. And I think uh, it's, uh, it's a good new era for Lizzo. And mm. I like the dance stuff, like Beyonce. We're getting, we're getting dancey and I, I enjoy that. Um, and uh, yeah, so I think it's a really good album. She is a lot of fun. Yeah, and we listened <clears throat> to it when you were here. What did you think about it? Um, I don't think i'm gonna listen to it lots and lots and lots but it's definitely fun you know good pop music um but i don't know quite none of it's really really grabbed me yet like i have not found any of the songs sticking in my head at all in Mm. the way that pop music that i go back to does but i can't fault it particularly uh yeah it's good. And I watched her at the... She did a performance at the VMAs yeah. the other day. Um, mm. 
that was really well produced and she was sort of interacting with this giant screen behind her and stuff and um it was great really good like genuinely yeah. really good um, and yeah, she seems she... like an incredible person and she wore this dress going in to the vmas it was like an enormous this absolutely and did you see it no, I'm going to... I think it was going check. to VMAs. It was like... I just saw, a, like, a reel or something on Instagram mm. of it. But, like... Uh, I don't know how else to describe it, but I, it sounds offensive, but it's it's not. But it's like an enormous... Oh, wow! Black bin yeah. bag. Did you see? Amazing, oh, you see yeah. It? And it's, yeah. it's just sort of, like... It, it's sort it's of... It's like a mountain. Full like of a, air, like a... so it's, like, floating around her. Wow. It's bonkers, and she's got these enormous, cool boots on that you can see underneath it um, when it kind of floats up. It's a, it's a, it's a, she's a, yeah, she's wild. She's good. Good for her. Yeah, I really, I really like her as a person. I watched her in Hot Ones. Oh, yeah. And, uh, first of all, the vegan nuggets. I was very happy about that. Uh, and she ate them all, which was really good. Cause I, uh, one thing that I've got about uh, the hot ones now, I feel like they have a bite of a of a chicken wing. It's like no, eat the chicken wing. You're wasting so much chicken. Yeah. And uh, so I was really happy that she ate it all. It was vegan, and she's so like amazing and humble and lovely. And I just, I think she's great. And maybe, maybe that's why I like this album more because maybe I get, I'm getting to know her better yeah. as an artist and as a, you know, but um, yeah, I might go back to her old albums and see if I can get into them. Cause there's some bangers in the old albums, you know, there's some really good. Oh yeah. Tunes. She's done some, yeah. she's done some individual songs that I really, really like. Yeah. It's uh, just like, I've never been able to get into an album until this one special. Yeah. And um, yeah. There's a song that I love in this album called I Love You Bitch. And it's like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. Um, cool. All right. Is that all your culture catch-up? That is my, all my culture catch-up. Lovely stuff. Mm. Well, I've got a few movies that I've watched over the summer to talk about. Uh, and then a couple of TV shows. And that's me uh, for this. I'll start off with Bullet Train. Yeah. 2022 action comedy film directed by David Leach off of Deadpool 2 and other things. Uh, starring Brad Pitt, Aaron Taylor-Johnson, Brian Tyree Henry, uh, Joey King, uh, Andrew Koji, Hiroyuki Sanada, uh, Sandra Bullock, Bad Bunny, Michael Shannon. There's a lot of people in the movie. A lot of people in the movie. Mm. Um, based on a novel by Kotaro Isaka called Maria Beetle from 2010. Uh, I didn't know until after I watched the movie that there was some pre-release controversy around the accused whitewashing of the film because the, the novel is, you know, the, the novel is set in Japan on a Shinkansen bullet train and the movie is also set in Japan on a Shinkansen bullet train but this time the majority of the cast is uh, Western actors Um etc which i think is you know a fair criticism removed somewhat because the the author of the novel has kind of given it his blessing and said that he doesn't care um so if that's his view then fine um and like it's sort of an easy criticism because you can critique the movie for that without actually mm -hmm. watching the movie or yeah 
like uh, you know assessing the movie on its own merits kind of thing. So I did watch the movie, uh, and I assessed the movie on its own merits. I saw it on my birthday because it was the only sort of new movie out on my birthday. It was my big birthday treat movie. I went to the cinema all excited to watch it, and I started watching it. And it got to the point where I felt like I absolutely couldn't bear to watch a second more of it. And I checked my watch and it had only been on for half an hour and there was an hour and a half left to go. That's crazy. It's one of the most disappointingly awful films I've seen in quite some time. When I came out of it, I felt that it was a total wannabe Tarantino riff. Like when Mm. Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction came out in the 90s, this wave of films followed them that wanted to be Quentin Tarantino movies, but, you know, nobody can really write dialogue the way Mm -hmm. he can. If you try to write Quentin Tarantino-esque dialogue, it will inevitably come off as irritating because equally, as well as not being able to write the dialogue as well, the director won't be able to direct the actors to deliver it well enough to make it work because it's quite difficult. This very sort of meta, self-referential, quick-witted, you know, people talking in a way that no one in real life talks because no one in real life can think that quickly and come up with witty comebacks that fast. And to make it feel believable, you've got to really, the whole movie has to take on a style that, you know, not many people can pull off. Uh, But then since seeing it, I've read uh, and seen more kind of criticism conversation around the movie and people have also pointed out that it's a real Guy Ritchie knockoff. And Guy Ritchie really sort of, took the Quentin Tarantino template and put it in, in England and that's kind of his vibe. And yeah, yeah. it definitely has feelings of Guy Ritchie, especially uh, because um, the characters of Tangerine and Lemon, two brothers who are hitmen, played by mm. Aaron Taylor-Johnson and uh, Brian Tyree Henry. Mm. Um, and that's a good source of humour, that there's a black man and a white man and they're somehow twins. Let's make jokes about that one. Um they speak in mock Cockney accents. Now, Aaron Taylor-Johnson is English anyway, but has an annoying accent. Brian Tyree Henry, I don't know why they made him speak in a terrible English accent throughout the entire movie. And his character has an obsession with Thomas Tank Engine, just talks about Thomas Tank Engine the entire film, um, has this idea that every single person you meet can be can be kind of categorised as one of the characters from Thomas the Tank Engine. Very irritating character trait that, that just doesn't stop. Um... And yeah, Brad Pitt just sort of sleeps his way through the movie, interacting with these various assassins played by these different recognisable faces. Everyone talks and interacts in this incredibly irritating, self-important, like kind of, you know, you can tell they Mm. think they're being really funny and witty when they're not. Um, way it's full of these flashbacks to different events in the way that like Pulp Fiction is like non-linear mm. storytelling so let's do that but in this film we get like a bit where somebody throws a water bottle at somebody and then we get a flashback to how the water bottle ended up on that place in the train showing mm. it from being brought in a vending machine all the way to getting into the <sighs> didn't like it hated it <laughs> such a disappointing film mm. don't criticise it for whitewashing the cast yeah. That's that's the one thing that they've done. The movie itself is a bad movie. Like mm. it's not an enjoyable film to watch. That's why you should criticize it because they've made a bad film. Um okay. He hasn't uh, had bad like the audience score on Rotten Tomatoes is quite high. Yeah, it's bonkers. It's absolutely bonkers. Yeah, and even the- on IMDb like it's got the same score as uh 
the talent, the unbearable weight of massive talent. So crazy. Absolutely wild. Yeah. It's a Honestly. shame because it looks so good. <laughs> like the trailer looks amazing. Yeah, it looked really fun. I was really excited to watch it. But yeah. No, I, re- I really, really didn't care for it at all. Uh, but also, on my birthday, I went home and watched a film that was only released to streaming. Uh, in America, it was released on Hulu. In the UK, it was put on Star, the Disney Plus um, brand where Fox content is placed. And uh, it is the latest film in the Predator franchise, Prey. Mm. Um, an ultra prequel, I guess you could describe it as, is that it's based not in the 1980s like the original Predator, but in 1719 on the Northern Great Plains. It follows um, a Comanche warrior played by Amber Midfunder who is desperate to prove that she can be a hunter because her tribe doesn't really see her as a hunter. And um, her and her lovely, wonderful, perfect dog um, mm. find themselves uh, having to go up against an alien hunter from another world. And um, it takes all of her resources and skill to uh, combat this uh, this threat and uh, you know it involves various other factions um, I think this the French or is it yeah French French fur traders end up getting involved other members of her tribe end up getting involved but ultimately it comes down to a show showdown between her and the uh, and the predator um, you know predator the predator franchise and the alien franchise are often sort of placed together especially because there's the alien versus predator movies. But I've always, always preferred the Alien films. Um, I think Alien is one of the greatest movies ever made, and, and Aliens is also, you know, incredible, and then the rest of the movies are all watchable. Whereas the Predator franchise, I've always sort of... Like, even that original movie that people adore with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Have you seen that, Alex? Yes. A long time ago, though, like, yeah. on TV in the 90s. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I don't... Uh, a lot of yeah. people call that like a perfect film. I, I, I like it, but I definitely find points in it where I get a bit bored mm. and it's a lot of kind of repeated things over and over again of like the Predator just attacking people and those then dying. Uh, the second Predator movie is crazy and Danny Glover's in it and it's really weird. But again, plenty of flaws. And then it's downhill from there. Predators, the one that came out in 2010 with Adrian Brody, is awful. Mm. Um, and then they made a film called The Predator, um, a few years ago, which is both awful and offensive, so that's good. Um, but Prey is amazing. Hmm. I I absolutely loved it. In in my opinion, it is by some distance the best Predator movie, despite not having Arnold Schwarzenegger in it. It's got Amber Midfunder, who's hmm. um, who's incredible. I thought she was so good in this film. I loved watching her. Like I, yeah. Hopefully, she's she'll become you know a quite a big star off the back of this film because she's so so good in it. Um, watching her sort of understand and learn how this predator works, and it's not quite the same as the predators you've seen in other movies. It's maybe a slightly more um technologically, uh, backwards. I guess mm. it is set a couple of hundred years before the original movie, and maybe there's other reasons in the law. I'm not sure, but it doesn't have quite the level of. Um, technical ability that the original Predators does that it can still make itself invisible and things um, but yeah watching uh, Amber Midfunder's character who is called 
uh, Naru um, mm. learn how to how to combat this predator and slowly overcome it is 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 joyous, and it's not too long. It's it's a good tight hundred minutes with credits, and um, I'd recommend anyone go and watch it because um, you know. Action movies fronted by female actors don't come along too often, particularly mm. in big franchises like this. And um, she's done a just a spectacular job. And the director, uh, Dan Trachtenberg, off of uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane and other movies, has also absolutely smashed it out of the park. And it's st- stunning to me that this movie didn't get released in cinemas, yet Bullet Train did. Mm. I do not understand it. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, it's, it's, it's the cast and the production companies behind it you know yeah i guess just bizarre anyway that's prey i'd recommend that to anyone uh then i went to see the movie nope nope yes nope. exciting times very exciting times this is the new jordan peele movie uh yes. jordan peele off of making get out a movie that i think alex would agree is a modern masterpiece yeah definitely yeah. um us have you seen us no i haven't yet uh it's on it's on Netflix or somewhere? I don't Probably. Know if I, should I think watch at this it. point it'll it? be. Oh, you should definitely it's... watch it. It's not that scary. Okay. And it's good. It, I liked us. It doesn't work quite as well as Get Out, but it's good. Uh, this is his third movie. Um, once again, it's an original idea that he's come up with. Uh, he's written it, he's directed it, he's produced it. It's his vision entirely. It stars Daniel Kaluuya as OJ, a... Um, a ranch owner who trains horses to be used in Hollywood film productions, basically, and uh, Kiki Palmer as M, who is his sister, mm. along with Stephen Yoon, who people know from The Walking Dead, as um, a character called Jupe, who was a child actor star and now runs a um, sort of theme park, cowboy-themed theme park uh, mm. next to the ranch that uh, Daniel Kaluuya's OJ runs, and um, a few other characters. Brandon Perea plays a, an electronics technician called uh, Angel. I've not really seen him in anything else before, but he's quite good in this, actually. He's really fun. Uh, Michael Wincott plays a cinematographer called Antlers Holst. He's got a great voice. Mm. And uh, there's a few other people. Do- Keith David turns up for a hot minute as um, OJ and M's father. Um, okay. I wish he was in the movie more, because he's wonderful, but uh, he's, <laughs> he's not. Um, and uh, it follows events on the ranch. Let's see. It follows events on the ranch as um the movie opens with a tragic accident, freak accident occurs, um and leaves OJ and Emerald kind of um adrift a little bit with the business, not sure how to run it, or not sure how to run it successfully at least for OJ, and um. They start to experience unusual events occurring around the ranch and they begin to believe that they may be experiencing UFO sightings, Mm. flying saucer sightings. That's enough to say regarding the plot without spoiling anything really Mm. um, past there. But it's playing around in the world of UFO movies. Um. It it's had good reviews. It's pro- it's probably the least well reviewed of his three films so far. But it's what best reviewed. Worst. Ah, worst review. Worst. Sorry, but it's still got you know it's got eighty three percent on Rotten Tomatoes. So you know it's generally been quite well received. People have liked it. 
uh, audience have, have enjoyed it as well. Um, it's very well made and well acted. Um, but unfortunately, I sat and watched it and with each kind of plot revelation that came up, I was found myself more and more distanced from what the movie was trying to do. Oh. And I ended up coming out of it having really not enjoyed it, which oh. is so disappointing because this was maybe my most anticipated movie of the, if not the year, definitely the summer. Um, mm. You know, this movie didn't get released in the UK at the same time as in America. We had to wait a few more weeks for it. And I was really, really frustrated because I was like desperate to stay free from spoilers and stuff because with a Jordan Peele movie, you want to know as little as possible going in. Yeah. So I did keep myself spoiler free. And um, I don't want to ruin that experience for anyone else that hasn't got around to seeing it yet, so I won't spoil it. But suffice to say, I just felt like there was... There's a lot of stuff in this movie where Pete, I've seen reviews being like, oh my God, it doesn't spoon feed the audience. It lets people work out what's going on and it gives you just enough to go on. Um, which I I usually like, but I, in this movie I felt like, um, it 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 just didn't ex it just did what it it just it to me it didn't feel like he was intentionally leaving stuff for the audience to work out. To me, it felt like he just wasn't telling the story very well, and it wasn't clear like mm. things would happen, and you'd have to really be like, wait, is this because of right? I think I get why this is, and it just sort of. And ultimately, when when kind of what the film is about reveals itself, um, I just was bored. I was like, "Oh, is that it? Is that the big revelation?" And mm. it was, and I was bored. Of, and then Stephen Yun's character, there's a subplot involving his character that kind of runs throughout the movie. That if you kind of follow it and track it, does a lot to explain the theming and me message of the movie. Um, so I think Jordan Peele's starting to get annoyed that people assume all his movies will have a message in them because, you know, Get Out was about racism and has similar kind of messages about society in it. But then I think he's, he's still making movies that have these messages in them. And I think the message that Nope is giving is one to do with spectacle and the human need to consume and watch spectacle mm. and maybe judging us for that. And my view is a bit like, well, you've made a Hollywood blockbuster that we're all going to go to the cinema and watch. Mm. why are you telling us we're bad people for liking the thing you do is, is kind of a, maybe i've misinterpreted it at some point but that's how well, I, a spectacle it would not be spectacle as you know something is happening and instead of helping i'm going to take a video of it and that's a spectacle and we're all going to enjoy this thing that we're watching that you could argue that but then the movie places itself pretty firmly within the world of hollywood because they're running ah, okay. a ranch to train horses for the cinema and mm. I don't want to go into it too much, but the subplot involving Stephen Yeun's character kind of really explicitly links it to the idea of um film and TV and stuff. Mm. Um, and it doesn't, uh, yeah, it didn't, didn't feel too much to be like not helping. It just felt sort of like there's no ability for you to help the thing that. They're... Anyway, I won't talk about it too much longer because I can't talk about about spoiling it. But I'd mm. love to hear from anyone who has watched it what they thought of it. If they disagree with me, please do get in touch because, um. I know that people have liked it and enjoyed it, but I just wasn't for me. Anyway, I'll go a bit quicker now because I've got a few smaller movies to, to, to kind of go through. I watched Orphan First Kill, the oh, prequel yeah. to Orphan, which we watched a trailer for a few weeks ago. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> Was it good? It's so good. <laughs> uh, the, the, the original Orphan uh, is like a decade old now. Spoilers are kind of out the window for it. 
it's a it's a movie about a a family who um adopt an orphan and it turns out she's not an orphan she's a 30 year old woman who's got an, a condition where she doesn't grow uh, and she's also psychotic this movie <laughs> takes place before orphan but uses the same actress isabel thurman uh, to play the orphan um and she's now no longer herself young she's in her 20s uh, mm. but they still manage to make her look like a young girl mm. it's it's the, the, like the the act, the artistry behind the film is 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 pretty well done like there's shots where you can tell they're kind of fudging things to make her look like she's a kid, but it's 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 well done. Um, but it's a bit like you, I started watching it being like, well, this is fun and enjoyable, but it's kind of the same. I don't see how it's not just going to be the same plot as the original movie. And uh, then much earlier than you expect, a pretty incredible twist comes along um and throws you off your feet and it's one of those it's not it's not i mean this movie isn't as good as hereditary but it's a it's a similar feeling to hereditary where a movie you think you know what a movie is you think you know what it's doing with you and then something happens quite early mm. on that just makes you go oh well now i just don't know what this is anymore and that's quite an exciting feeling mm. to be like well i don't know where this is going now and i thought i did and let's see where let's explore this direction and see what happens and that was really enjoyable it maybe then ultimately plays out in quite a sort of horror cliche way but the fact that mm. it kind of does that thing that kind of makes you doubt yourself for a little for, for a few minutes is um is cool i really enjoyed orphan first kill um it should be relatively accessible it's on paramount plus streaming i think in a lot of places um but it got a theatrical release in the uk which i was glad it did because it was yeah it was really good Hmm. I'd recommend cool. people watch Orphan First Kill. Uh, I also watched a much smaller movie called The Feast, uh, which is a 2022 movie uh, set in Wales. And I didn't realise until it began that it was filmed entirely in Welsh, oh. which was cool. Oh. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so it was subtitled, it's in Welsh, but it's a, it's a really good film. I really enjoyed this one, that people should watch it. Um, it follows a family who are having a dinner party. The husband is a politician, an MP in Wales, um and he's having some business partners over for dinner to discuss um some business proposals with local kind of landowners and stuff and the usual hired help that comes in to help do dinner parties can't um can't attend so the wife hires in a new girl uh to come in who arrives uh and is very quiet and over the course of the movie, she is revealed to not be quite who you think she is. Ooh. And uh, events sort of spiral out of control in quite good folk horror type ways, which I always enjoy a bit of folk horror. And it kind of um, examines a lot to do with uh, nature and the land and what happens when man, uh, like the dwarves in Moria, digs too deep and too greedily and discovers things under the ground that maybe should be best left oh. unbothered. Um, is, so, it, yeah. is it scary? It is scary in parts. It's quite gory in parts. It's got some really quite unpleasant scenes of like necrotic flesh, like flesh necrotizing and dying uh, and things. It is, <laughs> it is a bit of a grim journey at times, but it's also got some really beautiful imagery um, it's got some really, really gorgeous like nature imagery and some really kind of beautiful imagery of quite mm. odd things turning from places they shouldn't be and stuff like that. And yeah, it's not the most terrifying movie I've ever seen, but it's definitely got some scenes where you kind of grip the arms of your chair for a moment. It's good. <laughs> uh, last film I'm going to talk about is the 2022 movie Beast, starring Idris Elba. Do you oh. know about this film? 
No. Ah, oh, this was an enjoyable one. I liked this film. I'll tell you that straight off the bat. Uh, Idris Elba and his two daughters are visiting a friend in Africa uh, who um, lives on a kind of a, a, what do you call it, a safari area, mm. but one that's not really open to the public, one that's more used for preservation, like a preservation zone. Okay. And uh, his friend is... Um, played by Charto Copley, who was in District 9, he's a South African actor who's popped up in various things over the years. Uh, always quite enjoyable. Uh, he is an enforcer for the preservation zone, so ensures that poachers and things don't um, enter and mess around with the wildlife in there. And um, he was childhood friends with Idris Elba's wife, who has passed away recently, so Idris Elba's taken his children um, there to kind of get some time in the landscape that his wife grew up in because his wife he met his wife uh in africa his wife was african mm. um so they're kind of in the in the in the area where her village was in that she grew up in the movie opens with a sort of prologue scene of um some poachers killing an entire pride of lions um but one lion escapes and uh, starts to fight back and obviously has now decided that humans are the enemy which is true for poachers they're awful um and the movie then proceeds they Charter Copley takes Idris Elba and his two children out in a jeep to uh, go and see some of the wildlife they come across a village quite quickly that has been um decimated everyone in the village has been killed and Charter Copley's like this this looks like a lion attack but lions don't do this I don't understand and then the lion arrives and the movie very quickly sort of becomes Jaws but with a lion is basically the thing or Idris Elba versus a lion uh, as oh. this uh, huh? lion that's been driven completely feral and determined to kill any humans it comes across um, proceeds to uh, desperately try to murder Giselle and his family. And it, the movie does a lot of things to kind of set up this scenario in a way where you can root for Idris Elba, but also understand why the lion is sort of been driven to behave the way it's behaving and not appear as animal cruelty. Because you've got to be, mm. you've got to tread quite a thin line when you've got humans entering the African wildlife and then fighting a lion, because <laughs> it could come across as um pretty unpleasant, <laughs> really. But it doesn't because uh, of the way they set it up with the poachers, etc. And you know you can see who the real bad guys are, and the lion is sympathetic, and um you know doesn't. It works, basically, is, is my point. Um, and I'm sure no actual lions were harmed in the, in the making <laughs> of the film. Um, it's really fun. It's like 90 minutes long. It's got some really good tense scenes of this family being sort of terrorised by this giant, terrifying creature um, that you can really sense, it. you know, the power of this animal. Um, if it's If it's a lot of CGI, then they've done a really, really good job. If it's a lot of an actual lion, then equally they've done a really, really good job because it it's scary, it's scary, scary mm. stuff. Um, and you know it makes really good use of you know films like this, you know obviously if if Idris Elba actually had a fight with a lion, he'd very quickly get killed. So <laughs> you've got to find a way, you know they're hiding in the car, then they're hiding underneath the car, they mm. manage to tranquilize it so it's tired for a while and they okay. escape for a bit and it, it follows after them. There's a lot of like ebbs and flows to the film and stuff, and it, I, you know I think the pacing of it really works, and um, you kind of they don't do loads of character work, but they do enough up top to kind of get you invested in the characters mm. and want them to stay alive. And the performances by all the actors is is uh, is enjoyable. And yeah, I'd recommend people go and watch Beast. And I'm sure it'll be on streaming fairly soon and, and easy enough to watch. And yeah, go for it. Okay, a okay. couple of TV shows to talk about. First of all, The Rehearsal. 
Oh, yeah. Did I talk about this already a few weeks ago? I might have Yeah, yeah, because you told us your... Oh, the attempt to watch it. The attempt to watch it. Your trials and tribulations. uh, I watched three episodes um, with the method I finally came up with. And then I finally got released on now the streaming service in the UK. So I've watched the entire series now, six episodes long. And as I told you last time, the setup is that Nathan helps... Nathan Fielder from Nathan View helps people to prepare for big moments in their lives by rehearsing them over and over again using the budget HBO is the huge budget HBO has given them to create these rehearsals which are um incredibly detailed and incredibly mm. realistic and lifelike um the series itself doesn't go in the direction you expect you kind of having watched Nathan View in particular you expect each episode to be a new rehearsal but mm. by the midpoint of the series you see that he's got hung up on this one rehearsal with this woman Angela where she's attempting to Rehearse what it'd be like to raise a child by living in a house uh, in Oregon, I think it is, with a child actor who ages, I think, three years every month or something. So, mm. like, to speed up, to get from... No, it's, it's quicker than that, even, because I think it's to get from, like, newborn baby to 18 years old in three months is the idea. Um, so there's these quite funny scenes of them swapping out child actors, and they've got a big digital clock on the wall, because obviously child actors can only work so many hours a day. And... Um, it sort of ends up really focusing in on this rehearsal. Nathan lets himself get involved in the rehearsal in a way that, strictly in a scientific sense, he probably shouldn't do. And it really starts to explore the character of Nathan and the line where reality and fiction occurs becomes mm. more and more blurred as the series goes on. Um, and it's very, very funny. It's very, very cringy at times. Uh, and then ultimately the final episode almost had me in tears at various points because it oh. gets to a really unexpectedly emotionally real place oh. um, as certain participants in the rehearsal start to struggle to separate the reality of the rehearsal from the reality of their own lives. And it, it, it kind of becomes incredibly kind of touching and heartfelt and like morally dubious at times. You kind of like, is it should he have done this at all? Is this right mm. to do this? And it's very, it's it's kind of incredible. I've seen people calling it a masterpiece online and I don't know. I need to watch the series again, I think, to decide. But it is it is something everyone should give a try to, I think. But your ability is to... Is it only three episodes? No, six in total. So I watched, okay. three, I watched three of them in an annoying streaming way. Yeah. And I watched the final three of them in a much easier way. And okay. uh, hopefully it's hopefully it's widely available. You know, if you're in the UK, it's on now until the end of October, at which mm. point it will probably vanish again for a while. Um, in America, it's on HBO Max and various other places. Uh, but yeah, I I, uh, I had a really good time with the rehearsal. Next mm. up, there's only been a handful of episodes out for these two, so I'll just give initial first impressions. And I don't know if you've watched any of it, but She-Hulk has started on Disney+. Plus. No, I haven't, because I forgot to say that I binged so- Better Call Saul as well. So, yeah. Uh, that's fair. Yeah. So, there's only been two episodes out so far of She-Hulk. Um, it stars Tatiana Maslany, who's an amazing actress, as um, mm. Jennifer Walters, a.k.a. She-Hulk. Uh, episode one does all of the uh, origin story stuff of getting you up to speed with how she became She-Hulk, and there's mm. a lot of Mark Ruffalo's Hulk in that episode, which is really good. Okay, nice. The second episode starts to explore what the show itself is actually going to be. You know, it's called She-Hulk Attorney at Law is the full title. And uh, she's hired by a agency to run their superhuman law division. And the first mm. case she is given is the parole of the Abomination, which who is the character that Tim Roth plays, 
who and she's got a great line where she's like I can't do this I can't say this case is a conflict of interest he tried to kill my cousin Bruce um oh, okay <laughs> uh, because the abomination had a big fight with Bruce Banner in the incredible hulk movie where Edward Norton played Bruce Banner and there's you know there's a pretty good line where she rings up Mark Ruffalo's hulk to say you know is it okay if I take on this case I know that you've had a fight with him and um mm. Mark Ruffalo's character says oh it's fine I've moved on a lot since then. I'm a completely different person now, literally. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it's is. a funny it's a funny show, and it's got fourth wall breaking stuff. She turns and talks to the camera every now and again uh, mm. in a sort of Deadpool way, but not as irritating as Deadpool. <laughs> and um, based on the two episodes I've watched so far, I really, really like it. I really like the character of She-Hulk anyway. Um, I like the fact that she breaks the fourth wall. Uh, I think it's interesting that she's a lawyer, and um, she retains her kind of personality when she turns into the Hulk. And um, yeah, it's cool. It's funny. It's a good, funny, interesting show. I think people should check it out if they're into the MCU. I mean, if you're into the MCU, you're probably checking it out anyway. But yeah, she yeah. looks good. And finally, House of the Dragon. Two episodes of that have been out. The new Game of Thrones oh. prequel. Um, Game of Thrones completely soured everyone by its final season, which was pretty bad. Um, Not me. I was not soured. Because you never watched it. <laughs> um, and uh, it felt like overall the appetite for Game of Thrones had really ebbed. And it was a bit like in the run up to House of the Dragon starting, um, people, it, it kind of felt like, why have they done this? I don't know if people want House of the Dragon, if, but mm. the first episode had some ridiculous, I don't know, 50 million viewers or something in America, so it seems like people do want more Game of Thrones stuff. This one is set about 200 years, 170 years or something before the events of the original series um, and follows uh, Westeros as it is in the height of its reign by the Targaryens, who are a family of dragon-riding, blonde-haired, um, incestuous lunatics, basically, and um, <laughs> kind of fo- is going to follow a similar thematic structure to the original series, but with different characters wherein people are fighting over who gets to be king or queen of the, um, mm. of the country, etc. But um, it has a pretty great cast. It's got people like Reese Ephens as the Hand of the King. Reese Ephens, mm. people will know from films like Notting Hill and uh, The Amazing Spider-Man, where he played the lizard, uh, Kurt Connors. You've got, as the current king, uh, Viserys, I think his name is, you've got Paddy Considine, who's one of my favourite sort of actors. Oh, wow. I really, really love Paddy Considine, and he's really good so far in it. Amazing. Uh, as the king's younger brother, Damon, you've got Matt Smith, who is oh. uh, in full-on evil bad guy mode here, um, and does a very good bad guy and is very entertaining in it in this um not yet appearing in the series because i think there's going to be a bit of a time jump and they're going to play an older version of a character but uh olivia cook is also in the series as alison hightower um and you've also got the young princess rhaenyra i think she's called targaryen who at this point in the series is played by uh actress millie alcock but will be played by emma darcy later when there's some sort of a time jump um mm. Which is almost a pity because the standout star so far is, is Millie Alcock as this young princess, uh, Rhaenyra. She's incredible. She's so, so mm. good in it. Um, I wasn't excited or interested at all in a new Game of Thrones series. And then I sat down and watched episode one and was hooked from oh. the first moment. It's really, I really like it so far. The first episode's so good. And uh, the second episode 
has kept up the pace for me. I've really enjoyed it. I've really enjoyed going back to that world and seeing things and the fact that next week the new Lord of the Rings show starts on Amazon and fans of fantasy stuff like me are just going to be eating well for a good few weeks. <laughs> but is it is <clears throat> it written by the same guy that wrote Game of Thrones or is this just, just a total No, this is based spin-off? on a prequel novel that George R.R. R. Martin did a couple of years ago tracing the history of the Targaryen house. Okay. And I think George R.R. R. Martin has almost got a closer involvement in this show than he did with the original Game of Thrones. That's mm. my understanding. I might be wrong, but he's definitely involved and approving of it. And um, yeah, it's based on his work still. So there'll but definitely why, be changes, but yeah. But why did they... Like, Game of Thrones was so successful. Yeah, why yeah. did they... Why do you think, or if you've read, why was the um, the last season so bad? Because it seems to like they've they've sped it up to finish it. But if it's something so successful, why why didn't they don't just do another couple of series seasons? Because at a certain point, when a show is as successful as Game of Thrones and as expensive as Game of Thrones, the actors start to be well. I've done this for this number of years now. They start to want to redo their contracts and get paid more money, and the price will start to skyrocket. And younger actors start to want to go off and do other work. And there's there's a sort of a shelf life to how long you can keep something like that going. And mm. I think the creators wanted to step away and do other things as well, and which has not worked out. They wanted to. What did they want to do? They wanted to make a show where the civil war in America had never ended. And there was still slavery and stuff, and people were like, "No, we don't want that at all." It got cancelled, like it got announced and then cancelled before they even started to make it. Kind of thing. Wow. Um. So they've not had the most, and they were going to do a bunch of Star Wars movies, and they've all been cancelled. Anyway, um. But yeah, it just it just sort of like, and then yeah, they really sped up the storytelling in a big bad way in the final season. Um. And a couple of characters made villainous turns that didn't feel fully earned to a lot of people. Um. And yeah, it was just sort of a bit messy. Mm. Maybe this will go the same way. But to start off with, it's done a pretty good job. I've enjoyed the first two episodes of House of the Dragon. So, yeah. yeah. It's such a shame that, like, such incredible... Well, I've never watched it. I have no interest in stuff like this. But it, it could... Like, they never seem to finish the right way. Like, why not just go on a little journey, give some... Do an incredible series from start to finish... Yeah. and do that rather than just prolong it because of money reasons and then suddenly nobody's interested anymore and you just make Yeah, crap. I can see a point. I guess I guess it comes down to kind of remembering that it's not necessarily about the destination that the journey is important and like the fact that season 8 of Game of Thrones isn't perfect takes nothing away from the fact that seasons like 1 through 4 or 5 are just countless hours of perfect tv and like there's mm. no reason not to go back and watch those they're, they're they're fantastic and the final season isn't perfect but i think probably going if you watched it now and went into it knowing that people weren't that keen on it you'd probably be a bit more forgiving of some of the mistakes it makes and mm. yeah you know maybe we're all a little bit too harsh on it maybe it was ultimately okay I don't know. <laughs> um but yeah i i don't know i i i've only got positive things to say really about the, this new one it's not as humorless it's not as humorous as game of thrones could be at times game of thrones had occasional levity in it you had um in particular you had peter dinklage's character uh, Tyrion lannister the, the um well they described him in the show as a dwarf so the the, the dwarf Tyrion lannister um was really, really funny and witty, and there's mm. no one to take any... There's no one that brings any humour to the table yet mm. in House of the Dragon. It's all quite serious. But I don't know. I'm enjoying it. Mm. And that's my culture catch-up. 
Awesome. Done. Very, very nice. Thank you. Love it. Um, do you want a little bit of what, of, of my tube? Yeah, of course. Couple of, I've got a couple of movie trailers to show you and maybe a music video as well, if you want. Oh, lovely. This first one yeah. is odd. <laughs> uh, I don't quite know what to make of it, but I think you'll find it interesting, so we should uh, okay. we should have a look at it. I'll pop it in the chat. The chatola. The, the chatola. Ch- the chattanooga choo-choo. Oh. There you go. Oh, thank you, thank you. So George just sent me... Uh, <clears throat> Netflix is busy at the moment, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, um, it really is. Uh, a Netflix uh, film... Uh, white noise. White yes. noise indeed. Yeah, right. I am ready. Three, two, one, go. So we've got a car jam. Oh, yeah, car. scared in the Crown Victoria. Yeah, they're oh. laughing. These guys uh, aren't laughing. Where? In the country square. What does it matter what they're doing in other Oh, Adam Driver. Bit of Adam Driver. I'm happy already. So it's raining. They're in a car jam. Traffic jam, and everybody is in a traffic jam. Oh, it looks a little bit weird. Oh, Greta is uh, in front of the screen. Yeah, Greta Greta Gerwig. Gerwig. Amazing. Don, is that Don Cheadle? Don Cheadle, yeah. Is in it. Not advance the action according to a plan. Oh, this looks. Amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Written and directed by Noah Baumbach, who is uh, Greta Gerwig's partner. Wow. That looks really good. That looks like something that is kind of, you know, probably like a little creepy and uh, a reflection on society. And it looks good. And it's nice to see Greta Gerwig on the other side of the screen again. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. And Adam Driver. I, I... I nearly watched House of Gucci the other day because I love Adam Driver so much. I was like, maybe, no, no. Don't watch House of Gucci. But maybe watch this. This is based on a novel that I've never <laughs> read that's that's apparently a classic novel, but I hadn't actually heard of it until this movie was coming out. But that doesn't necessarily mean anything. But the, the description of the, the novel says, White Noise tells the story of Jack Gladney, his fourth wife, Babette, and four ultramodern offspring as they navigate the rocky passages of family life to the background babble of brand name consumerism. Mm. So it definitely sounds like it's got ideas and themes uh, in excess. Yes. So, yeah. I right. like it. Yes. One more trailer for you. Uh, a very different tone here, but uh, I think this movie looks incredible. So let me know what you think. Let's just have a look. The next trailer George has sent me is The Bashees of... Huh? 
<laughs> the banshees. Okay. The banshees of Inisherin. Of Inisherin, yeah. Oh my god. Can I try again? Go on. The banshees of Inisherin. Oh my god, there's so many vowels. <laughs> <laughs> the banshees of Inisherin. The um, banshees of Inisherin. That's the title. <laughs> the banshees are like those. Are those, those like. Uh, crazy ladies they were called the banshees yeah the banshees would um, was it the banshees that would shout and yell uh, and try to attract ships um, oh. uh, and get them caught in uh, rocks and stuff I, I, I believe the, the scream were they good of the people or bad people they were bad people they were trying to like uh, attract uh, this is the latest movie from director Martin McDonough, who um, is well known for films such as Free Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, oh, and yes. In Bruges. So, exciting. Yes, very exciting. You ready to have a look? Yes. Three, two, one, go. Okay. It, I guess it's going to be in Ireland, oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. Oh, what's his name? Brendan Gleeson, Colin Farrell. Colin Farrell, yeah. Is it going to be a comedy? Now, if I've done something to you, just tell me what I've done. <sighs> and you didn't do it. I just don't like you, no. <laughs> Aww. <laughs> like me yesterday. Why does he not want to be friends with you no more? Why is he 12? <laughs> Oh, poor Colin Farrell, he's dull. About the things you found in your little donkey shite that day. Well, it wasn't me little donkey shite, it was me pony shite, which shows how much you were. <laughs> oh my goodness, this looks amazing. It just looks like the weirdest. And if you don't stop bothering me, I have a set of He just doesn't want to be friends with Colin Farrell. <laughs> <laughs> take those shears and I'll take one of my fingers off with them and I'll give that finger to you until I have no fingers left. Does this make things clearer to you? Not really, no. Starting from now. But shush like, Polly. You know, shush like. Yeah, I'd shush like. <laughs> <laughs> Would you not want him to have to do the one finger to see if he was bluffing like? No, Because <laughs> worse comes to worse. He can still play the fiddle with four fingers, I bet you. Going back to your own gang now, Polly. I'm talking to me! Oh my god, is he gonna cut his finger? This looks amazing. I'm sorry I'm not saying anything, but it looks so good. I just want to, I don't want to miss anything. Yeah. <laughs> How weird. He looks like Wes Anderson on steroids. <laughs> yeah, I in a weird that. way. <laughs> like a really probably it's gonna be quite deep, but like the the actual what the issue is between the guys, the two men, is not seems really stupid. But it's probably yeah. gonna be like a really funny but deep film. Oh, oh I really wanna watch that. Yeah, I really want to see that. I'll film. definitely have to watch great. it with subtitles, though. <laughs> oh, they're only speaking in Irish accents, are they? 
Yeah, and really fast. <laughs> I watch so I watch everything with subtitles. You know that no, no, everything no, I watch is with subtitles. Um, but this is definitely a subtitle job. Yeah, that's fair enough. Um, yeah, I I am pretty. I'm looking forward to when that is one. it coming out? I don't know. Let me see if there's any sort of news about the release date. So good. Says here. Da, 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 and Brendan Gleeson doesn't seem to be getting any older. He's just always the same. He's always looked like that, hasn't he? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, he's, yeah, he's just amazing. Uh, 21st of October, looks like. Oh, exciting. Yeah, <sighs> 21st of October. So. Hopefully within a month, a couple of months, we can uh, talk about it. Maybe even do a special about it if it if it merits it. Ooh, it, does look, it does look pretty good. Okay, now last one. Yeah. Um. This is at, at midnight last night with no fanfare at all. The Arctic Monkeys put their first new single in four years up on YouTube. So mm. I'm interested to know, as like a non-Arctic Monkeys obsessive, um, unlike me, I'm interested mm. to know what you make of their new sound. What do you think of a new sound? Do you want me to listen to it first? I want you to listen to it first, and then we can have a discussion. Okay, okay so Arctic Monkeys, there better be a mirror ball. There better be a mirror ball. The uh, first... Before, be... Oh, go on. But the Arctic Monkeys, uh, what? tell me a famous song so I can remember their old sound. I bet that I you bet look you good, you on, look the good on the dance floor. I don't know what you're looking for, old man, so I don't know what you're looking for. Yes, okay, I remember now. Okay, so that was okay. the big hit that they started with way back in 2006 or something. Um, yeah. They're now up to their, what What will this be? Uh, whatever people say I am, favourite worst nightmare. 17th studio album. <laughs> I think this is our seventh studio album. Ah, seventh. That was seventh really there. studio album. The car, uh, uh, scheduled for release on the twenty first of October. Also, the same day that the new oh. Taylor Swift album is scheduled for release. So, big day for George. Um, uh, yeah, and um, they announced it very suddenly last week. They played two big UK headline shows in Leeds and Reading Festival this weekend. Uh, where they um was their big return to the UK after a, a few years of not playing here. And um, they played one new song off their album at those shows, but not this song. They played a song called I Ain't Quite Where I Think I Am. Mm-hmm. But they've decided to make the opening track of the album. This is the opening track of their album, The Car, uh, the first single. So let's have a listen. You ready? Okay, yes. Okay, let's go. Three, two, one, go. Okay, it's already looked like there's a mirror ball. They're in a mirror ball. They're inside a mirror ball, potentially. Inside a mirror ball. We've got some sort of... Oh, they've gone a little bit 70s in their kind of... Yeah, 60s? 60s, 70s, and piano as well going on. Yeah. Definitely different from, I bet you would look good on the dance floor. Yeah, very much so. This uh, music video directed by Alex Turner, the lead singer, who oh. you can see there. Okay. Don't get emotional. That ain't like you. Yes, 
It's very mellow. Yeah. a lot of like probably some kind of 80s kind of glam rocky you know yeah kind of stuff that you listen a little bit just kind of like lots of pauses between the the lyrics yeah very sort of croonery yeah the last album was, I think, 2018, um, Tranquility Base Hotel and Casino, that album was called. And that was the first album where he'd ever written music on piano first rather than guitar. Mm. And that album sounded a bit like this, so it seems like they've, they've sort of continued to push down this musical road. Which I think to a lot of their fan base is one that they'd prefer them not to. Um because people want them to continue to be, you know, I bet that you look good on the dance floor. Yeah. And then they keep coming out with these, like, very conceptual, mellow mood pieces almost. Um, it's strange. It's a strange path that they've decided to explore. I feel that maybe this song in the album would have a bit more of an effect. I think by itself, like this, it's just... For me, really like bland. Like it's okay, you're just like you're doing your thing, but I think probably it will make more sense in the album. Yeah, because it feels like. That's why I'm not really like a fan anymore of singles, like because I feel like they kind of ruin a little bit maybe the song. Yeah, and it's interesting because for Tranquility Base Hotel and Casino, which again sounded like this. If I remember rightly, they didn't put out a single for it. They just let the album come out and be mm. the album. But they've decided for some reason this time to put this out. Um, which I like it, because I really liked it's the okay, last album. But um, I think we're better in the album. Yeah, it just makes me really want to be like, well, what else are you doing on this album? Like, where's where's this sound going to go across the piece of work that you've done? Yeah. Um, unlike that... Uh, single that the Red Hot Chili Peppers put out a couple of weeks which is just a massive banger yeah yeah it's, yeah. so this feels a little bit like a little bit too uneventful like I I, 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 I know I won't remember what how the melody goes as soon as this video finishes yeah so I don't know not bad though I, I like that I like I like where they're going I, I think, think it's well uh, done it's interesting yeah it's well produced and well written music it's just it feels like it's meant to be I feel like maybe they've put it out to be like here's what we're doing here so yeah. you so you know this is where we're going but it's not been put <laughs> out to like, be like a no! big a big radio hit we don't want yes. you to go to that <laughs> no go back to the no. dance floor <laughs> oh so yeah interesting yeah. stuff there from the monkeys the arctic yeah. monkeys and they're not called the Arctic Monkeys, actually. It's called Arctic Monkeys. I should stop doing that. Um, what are they called? Arctic Monkeys. Oh, they're not called the Arctic Monkeys. No. But sometimes you need to put an article in front of uh, things. Yeah. Don't you? So. Yeah. Yeah, no, I get know, it. The okay. tree. 
I can see a tree. I can see the tree. The one in in a hundred years or so, people will be like, "There's the tree." Yes. We've only got one left. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> oh God! <laughs> there it is. There's the tree. There it is. There's the, the tree. flower. There's the there's the vegetable. And it'll be like all oh, under a uh, like a, this um, <laughs> glass. Now go uh, home and eat your pellets. <laughs> right. Um, we're not. <laughs> We're not talking about homework this week because it's not a top five episode. Um, no. But very quickly, uh, when we do do homework again, I'll be talking about Not Okay and having watched it, I'd recommend that people go and watch that movie before we discuss it because it's definitely uh, worth people's time. Uh, but we'll yeah, talk about is it, it isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I thought it was great. But we'll talk about more in the future. But good okay. film. Good, good film. We can talk about it now if you want. No, all I really want to say is do you agree that the character... Played by Mia Isaac, or the actress. The yeah. so there's a character called Rowan, played by actress Mia Isaac, who I've not really seen anything before. Yeah. Steals the movie. Oh, a hundred percent. That's what I said. She's, she's incredible. Incredible. Yeah, she's so so good. The monologue yeah. she gives near the end of the film um, was. Oh. Should win amazing. awards. She should win awards for that performance. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, we'll talk about it more next time. For now, let's start our discussion of Jack White. Yeah, school me. Tell me everything about Jack White. Okay. I'm no, uh, Jack- just because I'm pretty ignorant. I've I've stayed at the White Stripes until these two albums, so. Mm, fair enough. Uh, well, Jack White mm. is uh, a musician, best known as the lead singer and guitarist in the White Stripes, who were a garage rock band popular in the sort of early 2000s. Uh, every single person on the planet knows the song Seven Nation Army. Um or as it's been changed in the UK, the Jeremy Corbyn chant. And um, Mm. he is sort of a a virtuoso guitarist. He's known for his pretty stunning guitar skills, Um, Mm. and for good reason. Um, The White Stripes released... uh, How many studio albums did the White Stripes put out? They put out... um, about six studio albums um it was their fourth album elephant in 2003 that really kind of uh put them on the map as it had a few huge songs on it including seven nation army um uh always somebody who likes experimenting right after that massive album he then came out with uh, get behind me satan the white stripes fifth album which is produced almost entirely piano features very little guitar which was a shock for mm. you know he's known for his incredible guitar playing and their final album 2007's icky thump um, is as strong as any of the rest of the work they've done. They're on top of the world, and they just suddenly decided to call it quits. Um, I believe because of Meg White's, who was the drummer, uh, quite extreme um stage fright or nervousness around performing live and things, and mm. they just decided it was time to to call it a day, which is um sad in a way because they were so good. But if that's how she felt about performing and stuff, then that's probably the best choice for her. But yeah. Jack White loves performing, so has continued to perform <laughs> uh, in various side projects. There's the Raconteurs, there's the Dead Weather, um, and then there is his solo career. He released his first solo album in 2012, which is Blunderbuss, which features some great tracks, including 16 Saltines. He then continued um, with Lazaretto in 2014, which was uh, quite a similar collection of songs to his first album, you know, just good mm. guitar-heavy rock songs. He then came out in 2018, if you haven't listened to this, I'd really recommend it, with Boarding House Reach's third solo album, which is 
where he went really experimental, really strange. There's there's all sorts of different sounds on that album, and it's wonderful. Mm. And then he went quiet for four years before finally coming back this year in 2022 with a lovely blue haircut and two new studio albums, Fear of the Dawn and Entering Heaven yeah. Alive. Fear of the Dawn being a bit of a continuation of the experimental stuff he was doing on Boarding House Reach, Mm-hmm. And Entering Heaven Alive being, uh, in his words, I think, something of a folk album. Um, yeah. And you listened to the first one, Fear of the Dawn, quite a bit and suggested doing a special. And yeah. we decided to wait until the second one was out so that we could sort of talk about both and uh, discuss our feelings on both of them and uh, go from there. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, so hmm. What was your, what's been your kind of knowledge of Jack White over the years? Oh, well, just the White Stripes. Uh, listening to them but then after the white stripes i really did not listen to anything until these two albums to get an idea of how good he is did you see any of him at glastonbury no shall we just watch a little bit of him doing seven nation army at glastonbury just to see how beloved that song is and how good he is as a performer because you really get the sense of how incredible he is like you know on guitar and stuff and it's an interesting thing with jack white because a lot of my friends a lot of people i know really don't like him he's a real marmite sort of character i know a lot of people that really just don't like the white stripes music at all don't like him find him irritating um well because he's talented that's why (laughs) they're jealous (laughs) just jealous um and i don't know he is he's a very sort of he i think he has a reputation at times of being prickly i think you can really sense that he is obsessed with just being an amazing musician and he loves music. He owns his own vinyl record pressing plant. Mm. And, um, you know, he's, there's all sorts of mad stories about him. When the white stripes were first together, it, they kind of blurred the line between were they brother and sister, were they husband and wife? I think it turned out they were husband and wife, but they broke up before the white stripes was a thing or something, mm. something, uh, years before he was a successful musician, he worked as an upholsterer in Detroit and there are stories of him hiding pressings of early demos he'd done on vinyl inside couches and other furniture. <laughs> um, so if you live in the Detroit area, feel free to tear your furniture apart because I can imagine the, <laughs> the value of anything you might find inside would be far above um, the value of the furniture at this point. Mm. But yeah, he's um, he's an odd, interesting figure. And, uh, you know, that, that definitely creates kind of a Marmite uh, effect around him. So let's just have a watch of this. Did you get the link? Yeah. Okay, you ready to go? Yeah. Three, two, one, go. Oh, I love his blue hair. And he's like 46. Yeah. He's amazingly, he looks as so... Well, I don't think he ever goes outside, so his, sun, his skin never gets aged by the sun. He's so pale. He never goes outside? Well, look how pale he is. He's, he's like yeah. the palest man in the world, which is fine. Oh, nice. Oh, but of course in Glastonbury, everybody's going to love it. Oh, everybody's just, like, incredibly happy to hear that song. Yeah. Like, it's the, one of the best songs ever written. Oh, even the videos they did, they were incredible, weren't they? Oh yeah, they did good videos. He doesn't perform it like it is on the record. He just he gives it little touches and different 
you know, readings yeah. on the lyrics and stuff. Apparently, doesn't do a set before a con, like before a gig. There's no set. It's just he just plays, and like people have to kind of kind of follow him. I could be- I could believe that. Yeah. Him. He um. Yeah, I saw him live in, I think, 20... When would it have been? 18 or 19? It was such a good concert. It was stunning. And he was doing a thing where... And again, people really didn't like this. But it made for a great concert where when you went in, you had to put your phone in a bag that's sealed up and what couldn't be unsealed until the end of the gig. I love that. So I watched the whole gig and realised at the end I hadn't had my view blocked once by somebody putting their phone up. I love Um, that. Yeah, and it was like, yes, this is what this is... Yeah, this is great. And I've never been to another gig that's done that, and I wish more people would uh, take it up. Ooh. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So he knows that people know his song and they love his music. Yeah. Incredible. I wish I was there. I don't know. I had the kind of like, I really would love to go back to Glastonbury no, I've this never year. Been. I was just like, oh, it's it's an amazing place. It's nothing like you're ever gonna experience, and everybody's gonna have a different experience in Glastonbury because it's so huge. And uh, but oh, the only the only fear that I have is because I've been in a ra- really rainy time, in a really like sunny time, and the rain is just. Unforgivable in Glastonbury. Mm. It just ah, oh, it's amazing. Oh, doing a little bit of a breakdown solo. Yeah. yeah. Exploring the stage. He clearly loves music, though. Like I, yeah. I appreciate him. Because he loves music. Wow, he's also directing. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. See, like, the the audience is part of the song. It's beautiful. I love it. I think the only thing at Glastonbury that I wouldn't be able to bear is the flags. Why? Because <laughs> uh, they block the view of the stage. Get rid of them. I hate them. I hate flags at festivals. They're so long, though. No, like... they still block the view. If you're far back enough, it's ah, just that's st- true. stupid. I, I can't yeah. stand it. Yeah, I don't think I'll be able to afford it either. <laughs> well, expensive. yeah, I mean, that's... <laughs> Yeah, I'd have to quit my job to go out of, to go to Glastonbury, and then I, I wouldn't be able to afford it. So, so. no catch real catch twenty two kind of a situation. Awesome, that's really good. What's he doing? It's crazy. Look at him. He's rubbing his guitar all over the microphone stand. He's going absolutely ham. That's a great energy on stage, though, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> like everybody's enjoying that. I love his weird electric pants as well. 
Yeah. Oh, was this the end of his set? It must have been, yeah. I guess if you've got that in your pocket, you wait until the end to pull it out. Ah. Yeah, P on his tour, he did um, he did sort of a world tour recently, but he only came to London in the UK, so I didn't get to go and see him. Which, yeah. Um, if he comes to Manchester again, I'll definitely be. I love the English crowd that they manage to go for anything. It's like it's like a it's like a football chant. Yeah, it's a proper football chant. He loves it. He knows he's he knows he's good. Yeah. All right. So that's Jack White. Awesome. If you haven't listened to any of his, oh, go on. Great musician. Great musician. If you haven't listened to any of his solo stuff before. What made you check out Further Dawn? Well, you told me to listen to it. There we go. <laughs> fair, fair enough. You said, Alex, you should check out this album. And I did. And what did you expect going in? And then what did Nothing. you get? Nothing. I did not expect anything going in. Because I'd, I, like I said, I, 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 I knew it was going to be the White Stripes because I think they were just so unique and... And I wasn't expecting anything of that, but um, I didn't expect to enjoy it so much and to have a really kind of fun time listening to it. And I really enjoy this album. It's interesting, Alex, that you say a fun time listening to it, because do you not think it's possible to have too much fun? (laughs) Why do you say that, George? Well, (laughs) I will... Just read you some of this review of the song Heidi Ho. Yeah. From Fear of the Dawn. Which um, is a very fun song. It is a fun song, and that's a bad thing. Um <laughs> I'll read you this review from uh, our favourite website, Pitchfork. Love um it. the so it's Heidi Ho featuring Q Tip. Incredible. Yep. Um the, sub, the, sub, the subheading of the review is You Can't Say He Didn't Try, and it opens like this. Jack White is bored. And who could blame him? He's beaten every level of real-life guitar hero, unlocked every character, and he seems to be on a quest to relive an omnipresent boredom, to relieve an omnipresent boredom. Sometimes that means collaborating with Beyonce, amazing song. Amazing song. Or working with a reunited tribe called Quest. Why wouldn't you? Sometimes it means (laughs) generating a minute's worth of wet fart sounds with his guitar before launching into a Cab Calloway sample on a song featuring (sighs) Q-Tip. It's a stretch to call whatever is happening on this single from his forthcoming album, Fear of the Dawn, Heidi Ho, a collaboration. More like two superstars effing around for their amusement. For what it's worth, the two of them are clearly having a ball. Q-Tip sounds exuberant on his verse, name-checking Chuck Berry, Mariah Carey and Stevie Wonder's contusion. How is that a bad thing? This guy guy sounds so bitter. (laughs) Before White crashes back in, singing about finding your joy and your vibrations. Why? There's no why to anything on Heidi Ho, just a lot of why not. It might be a, it might be a joke or it might not. It's certainly not uh, not at all good. But at no point drinks chaotic, pointless four minutes just Jack White sound remotely bored. I guess they want him to sound bored is the takeaway we get from this. Well, it's somebody that is bitter about Jack White. He does not seem to like him. He just called him a character. He called him a guitar hero guy. Uh, like from the start this guy does not like Jack White and 
Yeah, but also and, it's weird because it opens by saying Jack White is bored, right? And then the last, yeah. um, the last line is, um, it's certainly not at all good. But at no point during its chaotic, po- pointless four minute run, four minutes does Jack White sound remotely bored. So is he bored or is he not bored? When he's bored, it's good, and when he's not bored, it's bad. I, I, I don't know. Anyway, too much fun on that song, I reckon. Too much fun. Way too much fun. Ridiculous to have that much fun when you're making music. Music should be very yeah. stoic yeah. and dull. Serious. Clearly serious times. should be highbrow, serious, conceptual music. You yeah. cannot have fun, especially if you are Jack White. Exactly. Ridiculous, ridiculous. I've heard too many people recently that are telling like artists that I really enjoy that are sellouts and they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. It's like, go away. Yeah, but also it's not selling like, out to collaborate with Q-Tip. That's a great thing to do. Anyway, um, so. But, but also, what what is your... what <laughs> if, if an artist did the same thing over and over and over again, that would become boring. Absolutely. So you need an artist that can like surprise you in many ways. And I think I, I really like this album because it really surprised me because it's so far removed from anything I've, I've known about. I knew about him yeah. that I and it's extremely entertaining. It's a very good driving album. It's got some really amazing songs. In my opinion. Mm. <laughs> and uh and the fact that he managed to release this album and then release another album in a few months, which then the complete like the second album, um, which is called uh, "Entering Heaven Alive," is a totally different thing. Yeah, yeah. And you just have to appreciate how this artist is working and how amazing he is. Mm. Yeah, because it was very easy to imagine that the second one would be a bit of a tossed off nothing. But it's a full production. It's an album. It's, you know, he's yeah. put as much effort into it as the first one, I think. Um, it's interesting because I listened to Fear of the Dawn and wasn't disappointed, but was sort of not as grabbed by it as I was by, say, Boarding House Reach. Because mm. I think it, fe- it, like, I think having listened to Boarding House Reach quite a bit, the experiments on this album sound a little bit less interesting and exciting than Boarding House Reach, I think. I really mm. liked Boarding House Reach a lot. And this album didn't quite live up to that for me. But listening to it more and more and more and putting aside, you know, feelings about past albums and stuff, I, I do really like it. And there's a couple of really standout tracks. Heidi Ho, particularly with Q-Tip, if we have a little listen to a moment of that one. Uh, Heidi Ho is a really fun, fun track. There's too much fun, though. There's too much fun. I just love how it starts. It's just like... Bah, bah, bah. Yeah. Just like this. And then it sort of... Noodles about for about a minute or so. But it does eventually coalesce into something. And Q-tip comes in. And then it sort of turns into a Jack White song at the end. I like it. It's a good track. 
Um, are there any other standout tracks on that album for you? Um, I really like the first track, Taking Me Back. I think it's a good start of the album. I like how it starts here. There's just kind of like... I think I think it just starts the album really well with some kind of like high energy. Yeah, very good. Yeah. And um another track that I really like, Hide Here of course. Um Into the Twilight. Oh, Into the Twilight's good. Yeah, I just I just love the fact that he's just gone a little bit It's got that very kind of airwormy yeah. melody to it. Yeah. Twilight. I, f- I like how he makes his voice sound like it's also an instrument. Yeah, he's not afraid to manipulate his vocals, yeah. which is something I think I think the big difference in his solo stuff now to the White Stripes is that the White Stripes is very much about we've got a guitar, we've got a drum kit, sometimes we've got a piano, what noises can we make with those? Yeah. Whereas now he seems really happy to just bring in any production flourishes he can in the studio. Anything that interests him, he'll try it out and mess around with it and it just creates I guess what you would describe as experiment, very experimental music, but it's it's yeah. it, he manages to always keep it listenable and fun and yeah. Mm. Which, as we know, is a bad thing. It's a bad thing. But also another song that I think is really good is What's the Trick? Because it just, it's kind of like, it becomes more like a spoken, spoken, beaty kind of. Yeah, good tune. Because I feel like this album is totally him. Yeah. What What I like about this album is just you you can't really compare him to any any other things. This is like totally Jack White. Yeah. And I think I don't think it's comparable to any other artist that I've listened to or I I don't know. And so that's why I quite enjoyed this album because it's just it's eclectic and it's definitely all him not being scared to try things. Yeah. Um, what do you think about the song? I think my favourite song on the album is Eosophobia. E- Eosophobia. Ah. It goes like this. Yeah. Yeah. I love that sort of like... And then his voice goes with the with the sound. Yeah. I love that song. Yeah. 
And I think as an album is so is like like I said before, it's so in- entertaining and so kind of keeps you on your toes. What's going to happen next? It's not really anything. It's the, it's not it's not one note at all. No, it's just no, 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 no. Really exciting album for me. And then he announced that this album was coming out and it was going to be a sort of rocky experimental jam album. And then he said a month or so later, Entering Heaven Live is coming out and it is my folk album. It's much more stripped back, yeah. etc. And yeah. that made me not listen to it for ages because I wasn't really, I was like, <laughs> I was always like, I don't know if I'm in the mood for that kind of a thing. And then finally I got round to it because I was like, we're recording this episode. I have to listen to it. And, yeah. um, I, not to not to put the cart before the horse. I I think I like it more than Fear of the Dawn. Um. Good. <laughs> what do you think of Entering Heaven Alive? It's good. It's definitely good. I think I I don't know if I'm, but I feel like it's more of an homage to lots of different artists. And genres of music. Yeah, yeah. Like I can, like the first song, a tip from you to me. Ask yourself if you are happy, Just... and then you cease to be. That's a tip from you. I just, if you think about David Bowie, yeah. you kind of can imagine that big this. piano song. Yeah, and then there's like some. Yeah, it feels like an homage to different artists and different genres. It's I. It took me longer to get into this album because I think at the moment I need the. I don't know why. But I I was (laughs) expecting this second album to be like him and a guitar and nothing else. Yeah, Yeah. Uh, which is totally like immediately on that you've got that huge piano coming in straight away. Yeah, and the melodies he's coming up with in the second album are like butter. They're so. Mm. just they just go down so easily yeah um and then as well i was expecting it to not have any of those kind of interesting production flourishes but my favorite track on the second album is i've got you surrounded with my love which is like got a lot of odd noises going on in it if you have a little listen to it yeah 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 so Fuzzy guitars coming in, it's mm. very jet white. Melody. Yeah. He's singing and he's got that really distorted vocal in the background. Mm. I love the effect of that, yeah. It's definitely more mellow and more like yeah yeah, but it's still. But when you yeah. said folky, like it just for me is like it doesn't seem very folky since more like no bluesy mm. and yeah, and um, if I die tomorrow is a really oh, great track. Yeah, I really like that song. Where's that in this album? Yeah. 
But I, I have to say, the more I listen to it, the more I like it. I think it's more of a grower of an album. Yeah. It's not as immediate yeah. as uh, Fear of the Dawn. Yeah. Um, but it does work as one big album with Fear of the Dawn because it closes with <gasps> a really I, gorgeous... That blew my mind. I was so happy. <sighs> like, Taking Me Back is the first song of... Uh, Fear of the Dawn. Fear of the Dawn. And then it's the last song... Of entering heaven alive. But it's totally this different. time it's like a gypsy violin incredible. Sort of something, yeah. And I like it more, I think. <laughs> I don't know. Because it works so well. Oh yeah, completely. Take me back. And also his voice is so different from the two different songs. Yep. It's just I love this bit. Ah, oh, these two songs are amazing. They really are, and yeah, the way they oh. they bookend the full experience. He's yeah. obviously he's not just come up with two albums worth of music and split it in two. He's really thought carefully about the ordering, yes. the way it all fits together. It's great. It's it's so good. Um, the only downside is the cover art to Fear of the Dawn is the worst <laughs> thing no. I've ever seen. It's not that bad. It looks like bad flash animation from like 2004. <laughs> I really like the, the cover art to um, Entering Heaven I Alive. Did, I really yeah. like. I think the lady yeah. in that cover really looks like... Look at that cover again. Like I can't find information anywhere about where this photograph is from, but I that looks like Jessica Chastain to me. Oh. Can you see that? I am. Um, mm. uh, yeah, the nose, I think the eyes are not. But it could be, yeah. It probably isn't because it'd probably be it'd probably same places if it was someone famous like that. Yeah. Um. Interesting cover art, though, because it doesn't really reflect the album, no. either cover art. No, and also it, it it's I think it's the first of his studio albums not to feature a photograph of him on the cover, unless um that's him unless though. that's him, yeah that's definitely him. Is it? Yeah, a hundred percent. You think that's a picture of Jack White? Yeah. Looks like Jessica. Well, no, no, like in Fear of the Dawn, that's Jack White. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. in Fear of the Dawn. And is. in the other one, uh, it's Jessica Chastain. Jessica Chastain. Maybe know. it is Jack White. I don't no, know. No, that's definitely a... Have a quick look at the cover art for Boarding House Reach because it, it, I couldn't believe for a while that that was um, Jack White on the cover of that. Uh, Boarding House Reach. Oh. So so the, it might be Jack White. Yeah. In uh... With a lot of sort of um, makeup on or something. Yeah, I guess it could be. Hmm. Interesting. So of the two albums, which one do you prefer? I think at the moment I prefer um, uh, the second one, Entering Heaven Alive. Mm. What do you prefer? Um, I think I'm still... Uh, I'm still... In uh, the the uh, fear of the dawn kind of era, I do I do like them both. I think I think it's a it's a great 
uh, to have such range of you know music like how playing all your musical instruments and voice and production is incredible they're both incredible albums because um but yeah i think i still i'm still more into fear of the dawn that's fair you should definitely go away and have a listen to boarding house reach and see mm. um what your vibe is with it because it's um it's very good um i've not done a top five but i have done a list of the songs from both albums that i yeah. like um mm. so my favorite tracks overall are i've got you surrounded with my love from entering mm. heaven alive heidi ho from fear of the dawn mm. uh eosophobia from fear of the dawn if i die tomorrow from entering heaven alive and um a tip from you to me the opening track of entering heaven alive yeah uh, they're the five songs that sort of stand out to me have you got any standouts we haven't mentioned or that you want to kind of sum up? Uh, Taking Me Back yeah. in the first album and the second from Field of Dawn and Entering Heaven Alive. Um, and uh, Please God Don't Tell Anyone um, from uh, Entering have a Heaven Alive. Listen to that one. Yeah. And then the other ones that I mentioned before. This sounds almost Dylan-esque at the start. Yeah, it's amazing. Mm. Beautiful stuff. Good shout. Beautiful. I like Beautiful. It. Yeah. So, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna give a, a rating to each album. Let's do that. Yeah. So, Fear of the Dawn. I'm giving a. I'm giving a 3.5 out of 5 to Fear of the Dawn. okay. And Entering Heaven Alive, I'm giving a 4 out of 5 to. Okay. And I think Boarding House Reach, for reference's sake, would probably be a 5 out of 5. Okay. Yeah. What are you going with? What do you think? Uh, Fear of the Dawn, probably a 4.5 out of 5. Mm. But then I might, I might listen to uh, the other one that you mentioned, um, Boarding House Reach, see if that's knocks it down and then um uh entering heaven alive probably a four four points good strong music yeah. um mm. okay lovely stuff that's been our jack white special i hope you've had a good time yeah. with it right alex do you have any recommendations for people this week uh this week i would recommend to listen to the new lizzo album special give it some time give it some thought uh, let us know what you think of it. And also, if you like light and fluffy stuff, watch Never Have I Ever. Lovely. There are three seasons. Number one, two, and three, you can watch in three days. Done. Yeah. Yes. Good stuff. I'm going to put a big recommendation out there for my favourite movie of the summer, Prey. Uh, if you haven't watched it yet, go and watch it. And also, um, the rehearsal, the latest masterpiece from Nathan Fielder. Uh, if you think you can stomach some secondhand embarrassment, um, oh. I, I cringe. I definitely would recommend going to check that out. So that's prey and the rehearsal, um, and also watch House of the Dragon and She Hulk and stuff. But they, you know, they're some of the most talked about shows going, so they don't need recommendations. But yeah, the rehearsal and prey. Please go and look at those. All right. Um, <clears throat> next time on Culture Bucket, we're really excited to be doing a full special on. 
um, Better Call Saul, which wrapped up over the summer. Um, so the whole thing is out no. now. I think pretty much, quite probably, unless anything changes in the future, all of the universe of Breaking Bad is now as fleshed out as it's ever going to be. Um, with you know all of Breaking Bad, the El Camino movie, and um, Better Call Saul now having finished as yeah. well, uh, which is sad in a way because it's been a beautiful, wonderful world to get to get uh, transported yeah. to uh, every now and again. You know, beautiful and wonderful in terms of how well it's oh, produced pff. and made. Not beautiful and wonderful <laughs> in terms of the events and and um characters yeah. uh, that live in there but yeah we've finally said goodbye to Saul Goodman Jimmy McGill um Gene Tukevsky yeah and um Kim Wexler which is a, a sad thing not necessarily sad because of what happens to Kim but sad because I just want to see Kim yeah want to see more of Kim always yeah. um so yeah be interesting actually it'd be quite interesting to know where Kim Wexler comes from yeah, there is. There's one think, episode where you see yeah. her having shoplifted. Yeah, and I think that would be a nice, mom. yeah, a nice. Uh, to expand on that a bit would be interesting, but you know, yeah. how many times can they <laughs> do that? They well, they span many. they span Saul Goodman off Breaking Bad, and then if they spun Kim off of, yeah, I don't know, Rhea Seahorn, well, whatever she character. does, deserves more work. So I hope that she gets yeah. um, all the awards and stuff. But yeah, we'll talk about this in much more detail next week. So that's our Better Call Saul special. We'll talk about our feelings generally uh, and then go through the final season a little bit and talk about that. Um, a final season that really, really did come in two parts um, in quite a big way. So yeah, yeah and some, yeah. Of those, some of those mad cameos that popped up in that final episode were was wow yeah i was not expecting one of them i didn't recognize and then i was just like oh my god yeah it's her yeah yeah yeah. that was crazy i was not expecting her to pop up at all um but it makes sense that she does uh so yeah that's um that's next time uh join us in a couple of weeks for that and um yeah have a lovely time it's been great to be with you again for a bit and um see you soon love you so much Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.